From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Patients throughout central New York who are the most critically ill or who have the most complex life-threatening injuries are usually brought to Upstate or transferred to Upstate because Upstate is the region's level one trauma center. I'm talking today with Dr. Bill Marks, who's the Chief of Trauma and Critical Care at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Marks. Thank you. So the pandemic has kept many people from getting out and about like they might usually have done. Does that mean that you're seeing fewer people who need hospital care after being injured? We were in the March and April timeframe, but since things have kind of loosened up and people are back out doing their normal activities, the incidence has come back up to where we were before COVID. So it didn't slow things down for very long. Not at all. We had a little change in the in the types of trauma we saw. We saw more um, penetrating trauma than we did blunt trauma. And blunt trauma are things like falls, motor vehicle crashes, pedestrians struck by a car, bicyclists, bicyclists struck by a car. Those are typically blunt trauma. But the penetrating trauma, the gunshot wounds and stabbings went up. And is that still sort of the experience you're seeing now? No, it's kind of drifted back to normal. Well, that's um, good. Yeah, which is which is great for the community. Now, is it true that deaths from trauma overall are the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer? Yes, it it still is, and so it is. Yeah, for all ages, kids all the way up to adults. Well, it there, it's a sort of like what's called a bimodal distribution. It goes up as you get into your mid-teens to about your mid-20s, and then it goes down. And then when you start to get into your early 60s and in later years, it goes back up. And the old, yeah, And the older patients are primarily low falls, motor vehicle crashes, um, getting hit by a car while they're walking. Well, let's talk about what trauma is. What's the working definition? So trauma is any injury that a patient sustains, whether it's intentional or unintentional. You, it can be a car wreck. It can be somebody playing football and uh, get in, injured in there, have a splenic rupture. It can be somebody shot. It can be somebody stabbed. There's a whole host of injuries. People, with, uh, as I said, with the low falls, that's an injury. Um, those patients are older, and they have a higher mortality rate than uh, people their own age who aren't uh, injured. What sorts of specialists are likely to be part of the trauma team for any given patient that comes to Upstate? Well, we have we have nine trauma surgeons who specialize in trauma and critical care, and that's primarily the bulk of our practice. We also do the emergency general surgery. Um, we have three orthopedic traumatologists. These are orthopedic surgeons who have taken additional fellowships in the management of orthopedic trauma. We have our neurosurgeons who help manage these patients, and they, they manage the traumatic brain injuries with us. But typically, the, the captain of the ship is the trauma surgeon. And then, you know, I don't want to forget emergency medicine. That's the portal where everybody comes in. So roughly how many trauma patients are cared for at Upstate each year? 
Well, we, we admit about 2,200 trauma patients a year, and the emergency department sees another 6,000 trauma patients who are treated and released. Now, is that just adults or pediatric as well? Uh, no, that's just the adult trauma service. The pediatric trauma service, I think they admit about 500 patients a year. And are most of the trauma patients that come to Upstate, do they get here by ambulance or helicopter or? Well, primarily by ambulance. Um, you know, getting a helicopter, usually these patients are out in more remote areas and the helicopters aren't like you see on MASH on TV or any, anything like that. They're not sitting there all revved up and ready to go. They have to warm up. They have to get their crew up in the air, fly to the scene. So that can take a little bit longer. And so sometimes if there's the right EMS personnel at the scene, it's much easier and faster for them to put the patient in an ambulance and drive here. Well, the other part of your title is chief of critical care. Does that refer more to the patients who, where it's not an injury, but it's more of a, a critical illness? Well, we do critical care encompasses the care of patients in the intensive care unit. So we manage mechanical ventilation, infections, um, you know, things like that. And um, those are patients who can either have had surgery, who need surgery, or who have been injured. So a pretty wide range, it sounds it's like. It's a pretty wide range of patients, yes, exactly. And are a lot of these patients um, transferred from outlying hospitals that recognize that maybe the patient needs more specialized care that is only available? Well, I wouldn't say the bulk of them, but many of them come from outside. Um, and sometimes they're not emergencies that come in. Somebody may come in and have have a liver resection for a cancer that's spread to their liver, a big colon resection, a big vascular procedure. They end up in the intensive care unit. But we have we have a number of intensive care units here. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking to Upstate's Chief of Trauma and Critical Care, Dr. Bill Marks. Now, I understand that the American College of Surgeons has recognized Upstate for uh, what they called meritorious outcomes for high-risk surgical patients in 2018. Can you explain why this is an impressive accolade? Well, that's primarily for managing non-trauma patients who have had, uh, who We've lowered the rate of infection, post-operative complications, and we've re we've achieved a very low rate in those areas. So our our overall surgical care that's not a trauma patient is excellent. Well, I'd like to ask you about some ways in which trauma care has evolved during your time practicing. Can you tell me how someone with trauma to let's say their spleen um, might be treated today compared to how they might have been treated? A decade or more ago? Well, it, probably about 30 years ago, we didn't have CAT scans. And now a trauma patient gets a CT scan. A splenic injury was identified 30 years ago by a physical exam, by the mechanism of injury, by the patient's vital signs. And most of those patients had an operation and had their spleen removed. Now with, with CT scans, all these patients get scanned. We identify the splenic injury, for example, and we may not have to operate on that. And 
or we may have to have the interventional radiologist do a selective angiogram of the splenic artery and put in some coils to, to stop blood flow to the spleen. And that will allow us to salvage the spleen, which is much better for the patient. Um, with liver injuries, we use a lot of non-operative management, but, but with penetrating injuries or bowel perforations, the majority of those patients have an operation. Interesting. What about someone who suffers multiple injuries in a car crash? Maybe they've got broken bones or they're bleeding or they've got a head injury. How do you prioritize what needs to be fixed first? Well, what we do is we do what we call in the Advanced Trauma Life Support Course, the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation, disability, and then their neurologic exam. And so um, if we have a secure airway, we look to be sure the patient's not bleeding, that they're they're breathing, and then we um, decide what we're going to do after we find that. So how has care for patients with multiple trauma changed? Because I've heard that sometimes these days trauma surgeons are recommending leaving the patient's wound open for a period of time while they're recovering. Can you explain what that's well, about? Yeah, this this is something that came out of of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, when I was a resident, it was felt to be very poor practice to leave somebody's abdomen open. And because of the injuries that are sustained in the war, we found out that some injuries are much better taken care of if you go ahead, you operate, you stop the bleeding. You, you stop the leakage from the bowel, you pack the abdomen, and then you take them to the ICU, you get them warm, you correct any coagulation defects that they have, and you fix their breathing. And then the next day or two days after, you come back and you put the bowel together and um, close the abdomen. Uh, orthopedics stages their inj uh, repair of their injuries right now. Most open fractures used to get operated on within about six hours. And now you, you have up to 24 hours if the wound is washed out and uh, the patient receives the right antibiotics. So it's much better for the patient to give us time to, to fully resuscitate them before they have to go back to the OR for a more extensive procedure. The initial procedure is just to stop the bleeding and stop contamination and um, allow us to really get the patient in better uh, health to go back to the OR. So it sounds like it might, the whole process might like take longer, but for the long term, it gives the patient a better chance at recovering. Right, right. By, by correcting their coagulation defect, which patients who are injured um, have when they bleed significantly, um, so that, let me let me interrupt you. That coagulation—that's the the blood's ability to to clot, to clot so that it's not just right. leaking so, out. So when you when you get injured and you have significant blood loss, you have a trauma-induced coagulopathy. They they've lost a lot of blood. They've lost clotting factors, and so what we do is we have what's called a massive transfusion protocol where we give fresh blood, we give uh, plasma, and we give platelets. And the combination of the red cells to carry oxygen, the plasma and the platelets to help form clot are, um, are much better for the patient if we, if we take our time and do that and get them in better condition for surgery. 
Are there new ways of controlling bleeding? I, I was going to ask you to describe something that's called resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta. Yeah. Yes. That? That, so what that is, it's a, it's a catheter with a balloon on it that we put in the femoral artery and we advance it up the aorta. And we can advance it into the chest or into the mid-abdomen or into the lower part of the abdomen and blow up the balloon and stop the blood flow to injured areas. And it gives us time to get the patient to the OR without them losing more blood and dying potentially. So how you described going in through a big vessel, that sounds like um, there's a lot of medical interventions that kind of do this sort of thing, right? Well, not this. They don't They don't use the balloon. It's called Raboa. Um, and they don't do that. The trauma surgeons are the only ones that use that right now. Okay. So you advance into this vessel yeah. and you go to the area that's got whatever injury and, right. and stop the body from having blood go to that area so that you yes. can work on it? So you can go to the OR and work on it. And we try not to leave the balloon up for much more than an hour. We try to get them up to the OR and um, address the problem quickly. Because when you let the balloon down, you have the reperfusion of the part of the body that wasn't getting blood, and it brings out some nasty um, cytokines or chemicals in the bloodstream that can cause all sorts of problems. Well, do you have any advice for someone who comes upon someone who's been shot or stabbed? What's the first thing that they need to do to help that person? Stop the bleeding is the most important thing. If it's an extremity, you can put direct pressure on it. Um, you can put a tourniquet on it, and EMS has tourniquets. But the most important thing is to first stop the bleeding and second, be sure they can breathe. And then uh, hopefully get them to a trauma center quickly, right? Right. Get them to a trauma center very quickly. So we use the term level one trauma center, but what does level one, what does that mean practically speaking? So a level one trauma center means the trauma patient doesn't have to go anywhere else to receive the entire spectrum of trauma care. And this was started back in about 1972 when there was a study that compared trauma outcomes in San Diego and San Francisco. San Francisco had a highly organized trauma system where most of the patients went to San Francisco General. And in San Diego, they went to a couple different hospitals. And the mortality rate in a well-developed trauma system was much lower than in a non-trauma system area. So the College of Surgeons over the last 50 years or so has developed uh, a process to identify trauma centers. It's called verification. And a level one trauma center has to have a whole host of equipment so that you don't transfer anybody out. A level two trauma center, you transfer some of the patients out. A level three trauma center um, stops the bleeding and may take care of some smaller injuries, but they tend to transfer most of their patients out. And over time, we found that patients who get to a level one trauma center have a lower mortality rate, a lower complication rate, and overall better outcomes than patients who go to community hospitals that don't have trauma surgeons, that don't have specialists in trauma care.
Well, that's very good to know. Thank you so much to Dr. Bill Marks, the Chief of Trauma and Critical Care at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.